Oh, yeah, we're going to get Bill. I think we're going to do a special show with Bill Gates and Carrot Top. Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport. And I'm Cody Toons. And today we're starting another series. We're talking about Internet Explorer. How fun. We're talking about the web browser that Microsoft released in the 1990s and at one point was the most, I don't know if popular is the right word, but like <laughs> ha had the highest market share of any web browser for a while and then it slowly faded away and uh, as of when we're recording this, I believe it's it's pretty much out of support now. Yeah, I, I guess the the later versions of it technically are still in support, just just out of technicality. Yeah, the web browser itself is dead, but the Internet Explorer engine uh, will continue to to live on, probably outliving both of us. <laughs> yeah, and there there was a time I remember it being referred to as the most used piece of Windows software in the world. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to do this because this checks like every possible box for something that's fun to read about where there's a lot of technical information, there's a lot of like legal stuff that we'll get to later. Internet Explorer ends up being sort of the focus of this huge antitrust investigation into Microsoft. We're not getting to that in this part, but we will in future parts. And I've been doing web development for about a decade. I love reading about how the web became a platform and like how it evolved into what it is today. And so much of that is tied directly into Internet Explorer, not necessarily features Internet Explorer created that have stuck around. There's not a lot of that, not a lot of Internet Explorer uh, legacy features still on the web, but a lot of how the web works today is because of what Internet Explorer did. And in some cases, like in spite of it, like everyone <laughs> learned that something Microsoft did was terrible and we decided never to do that again. Yeah, what you're kind of saying is uh, thank you, Internet Explorer, for being terrible. And uh, you inspired us to be better. Yes, exactly. I think Internet Explorer, you could make the argument that it's the most historically important piece of software ever written, or definitely in the top, definitely in the top 10, I think. Again, not because it was good, but because like it, it influenced so much with computers and the web and everything else. Oh, I'm I I would have to struggle with that one. I I suspect there's probably something a little more important, but not by much. It's definitely got to be in the top 5. It's up there. There are a lot of places I could start Internet Explorer's history at, but we can start with another web browser called Mosaic. Do you do you remember Mosaic? Um I mean, I knew it existed, and I technically used it a little bit, very, very briefly, but not not in the traditional sense of, like, actually being a user. 
So Mosaic was developed by the National Center for Supercomputing Applications, or the NCSA, at the University of Illinois starting in 1992. There had already been a few web browsers by that point, right? Like when Tim Berners-Lee made the World Wide Web a thing, there was that first web browser that was just on uh, like the next operating system. Like it, it wasn't even on Windows and Unix, I don't think. And that was really basic. Like that was just, you're just looking at text. That's all mm -hmm. you get. I think it supported images, but they would open in like a new window. They weren't inside web pages. They were in line. Right. And there were a few other early browsers for Unix and I think Mac. See, when when you talk about this stuff, part of my brain immediately jumps to the thing that came before the actual like GUI style web browser. Um, and I'm totally drawing a blank on the name of it, which is gonna you're probably thinking of links yes. i think yeah yes good old links because as awful and it was awful as awful as it was to me that's the first browser and i actually did use it not a lot very minimally but i definitely did use that because there were times that later web browsers blew up on pages that somehow Links pretty much just handled. Good job, Links. So, yeah, there were a few web browsers by 1992. Mosaic was initially developed for Unix computers, but was later ported to the Amiga, it was ported to Mac, and it was available on Windows. And the ability for it to run on those different platforms, especially Windows, made it sort of the first mainstream web browser. Like, this is the first one that most people could run on the computers they had, right? Especially as, like, Windows is taking off at this time. It was pretty easy to use for the time. It was also the first web browser to support inline images. So you could have your, you know, you could scroll through web pages and they could have text with images between the text. So to kind of lay out what the web browser situation was at this point, I have an article from the Santa Cruz Sentinel by Kevin Woodward, published on June 13th of 1994. And you can read this for us. For many tourists to the online world known as cyberspace, the internet has always been a great place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. It can be a difficult environment for the average computer user to navigate. Major commercial network services like Prodigy, CompuServe, and America Online are able to avoid this problem by offering graphical point-and-click interfaces. While these easy-to-use front ends draw millions of subscribers, they are limited in terms of being able to operate only within their proprietary systems, which lack full internet features. While this is changing slowly, for example, all three services now offer email gateways. The Internet's most valuable tools, Gopher, FTP, Telnet, which is for remote login, WAIS, spelled W-A-I-S, for online databases, and worldwide web browsers such as Mosaic and Lynx have up until recently been available to only a precious few due to hardware and software requirements and a steep learning curve. Up until recently, those with full internet access were required to be fluent with Unix commands in order to perform the simplest tasks. However, 
In much the same way that Windows put an easier interface on DOS, new and soon-to-be-released products promise to perform similar magic with the internet. One of the first internet providers to offer such a graphical package is Netcom of San Jose, which will release its NetCruiser for Windows software later this month. While NetCruiser is proprietary and can be used only on Netcom via dial-up access, it does provide internet features via pull-down menus and icons. Another increasingly available option for both individual and business users is to connect directly to the internet by using TCPIP protocol software through what are known as PPP, which stands for point-to-point -point protocol, or SLIP, which stands for Serial Line Internet Protocol. Santa Cruz Community currently offers PPP SLIP access to clients, while Cruzio plans to do so by late summer. One of the biggest advantages to establishing such a connection is that it allows the use of Mosaic, a free graphical internet browser developed by the National Center for Supercomputing Applications at the University of Illinois. Mosaic integrates internet graphics, color, sound, and hyperlinks, which interconnect related documents and information servers. When I first saw a demonstration of Mosaic at the Santa Cruz operation last fall, I was deeply impressed, but it lacked the necessary tools necessary to use it. Today, all I need is a 14400 BPS modem, a slip PPP account, and one of these several software packages that range in price from $70 to $100. So that's, I, I like that article because it gives a good picture of why web browsers matter, even if they're like not the first way people were connecting to the internet. It's the start of this like modern, almost standardized approach where instead of each internet service provider having like its own application and interface for accessing information right like you get you get america online you use aol stuff or you get CompuServe and you use their thing for web yes i mean there were a lot of things that already existed that that brought everyone together except ironically prodigy CompuServe, and america online were the were the services you didn't use for that stuff because they blocked it all out. But yeah, things like IRC and again, email. Yeah. And like, there's, there's definitely overlap between those services and web browsers. Like we'll, we'll get to this later, but the first versions of internet Explorer are very much intended to be used with Microsoft's internet package, which was still kind of like this proprietary thing, but it could also connect to other stuff. So it's, it's, it's complicated, but Basically, at this point, we're slowly moving towards the idea of you use a web browser regardless of what internet service you might have or, or whatever else. So Mosaic was developed by the University of Illinois, and they provided Mosaic's code and trademark to a company called Spyglass Inc. And Spyglass was in charge of licensing mosaic to any other company that needed a web browser so at this point maybe you would have bought a new computer and the company who made the computer got a license from spyglass to pre-install mosaic or maybe when you purchased internet access from some internet service provider they would mail you the disks with the software to connect maybe the hardware and also a web browser can we just agree that is it like today 
if a company exists with the name Spyglass and they they want to install software on any computer, can we just agree that would not go over well? You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) So even though Spyglass had the Mosaic trademark and they had all of the technology from Mosaic and they even had access to Mosaic's code, I believe, they didn't actually use any of Mosaic's code their version of mosaic which is called spyglass mosaic or sometimes enhanced mosaic depending on who's talking about it was built from scratch and it was available on windows mac and unix over 120 companies licensed that web browser uh, that included ibm at&t digital equipment fujitsu and a bunch of others one of the two licenses that matter for this story is the Mosaic Communications Corporation. Uh, This was a company founded in May 1994 by Jim Clark, who had previously worked at Silicon Graphics. After the company is founded, Jim Clark hires most of the developers from the University of Illinois who were working on Mosaic, including the team leader, Mark Anderson. Anderson? I probably pronounced that wrong. I'm sorry. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Spyglass was eventually unhappy that their company was called Mosaic and had no relation to uh, either Spyglass or the university except uh, the people they hired and their license. So the company name was later changed to Netscape Communications and their web browser became Netscape Navigator. So that's how Netscape was created. Uh, We'll talk about Netscape a lot more in (laughs) in this episode and future ones because they're very important to the history of Internet Explorer, and also the web. Another company that licensed Mosaic's code was Microsoft. So in January of 1995, they entered an agreement with Spyglass, and they planned to include a custom version of the web browser with Windows 95 when that was coming out. So this was January 1995. Windows 95 comes out in August. So I've got a New York Times article for you to read, Cody. Again, I'm making you read, sorry. This is from March 1st, 1995, written by Peter H. Lewis. It would seem to be a bonanza for the Netscape Communications Corporation. Only a few months after releasing its first software, the company seems to be the runaway leader in a field with growth rates not seen since the early, heady days of the personal computer business. The frenzy involves browser software, programs that enable internet users to navigate the phenomenally popular multimedia service known as the World Wide Web. And although other browsers are available, Netscape's Navigator software has emerged as many people's browser of choice. Since December, more than 3 million copies of Netscape Navigator have been distributed. People use the software to visit any of the thousands of sites and, quote, homepages replete with pictures and graphics, like CBS's Late Night with David Letterman homepage, or the new website from Ragu Spaghetti Sauce called Mama's Cucina. On many of the most popular worldwide websites, three of every four visitors find their way using Netscape Navigator. James Clark, the 51-year-old chairman of the privately held Netscape, which is based in Mountain View, California, said... Quote, I'm astonished. I've never seen anything like this in my life. 
I know obviously the computer industry and definitely the internet was rapidly evolving throughout like the entire 1990s, but it seems like early web browsers were like a step above that. Well, the, the thing to remember about that is that a lot of people still weren't really using uh, yeah. websites. It, it's a smaller fraction of people. So like it could be like 10 people were using the web and seven of them installed Netscape. If if you looked at the amount of actual internet traffic at that point in time, less than half of it had anything to do with the web. I Well, I'm kind of pulling that statistic out of my butt, but it would definitely be something in that territory because the vast majority of people who were using any sort of internet connection, which was already a fairly small, a really small number, uh... Like I mentioned earlier, like they were using it for IRC. They were using it for early, very, very early RPGs. They were using FTP. They were using Telnet. They were using a lot of stuff that was just text-based uh, protocols. They weren't using a web browser. And this is, again, talking about the relatively small portion of people who are even connecting to the internet. We, you know, and keep in mind, this is the 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 amount of people that went from never having touched the internet before to suddenly using it on a regular basis between ninety five and two thousand was an astronomical leap. So in ninety five, right, like this is a subset of a subset of a subset. Yes, of a subset. exactly. Yeah. yeah, sorry, and that's kind of what I'm trying to get to here. But yeah, yeah, that's it's an accomplishment for sure, but it's sort of winning the fight that hardly anyone has tried to fight yet. It is definitely easier for someone to become the market leader in a very small market. It's not quite becoming a market leader in a vacuum, but it's very close to it. Right, because you're, you're talking about people who have a computer who can also pay, um, I think the person earlier was referencing like several hundred dollars worth of hardware and internet service subscriptions and that computer has to be good enough to run a web browser and you need the web browser which was a paid product netscape was a, a paid product at this point so finally in august of 1995 around the same time as windows 95 internet explorer 1.0 was released so we have we have ie now we've made it to internet explorer so the way this was distributed was kind of weird it was not included with windows 95 internet explorer was part of the internet jumpstart kit which itself was part of the microsoft plus pack for windows 95 <laughs> which was sold separately and that was the same microsoft plus pack that also included the uh 3d pinball game the first version of that so that's what we're talking about uh, yeah i'd forgotten about that We'll get to certainly later that like it's Internet Explorer starts being bundled with some new PCs sold with Windows 95 and eventually Internet service providers start like, you know, giving it with their customers or whatever. But at least initially, it was not included with Windows 95 at all. And this initial version of Internet Explorer was nearly identical to the Spyglass Mosaic web browser. It there was a small team of developers from Spyglass who primarily helped port their web browser to Windows 95. So Internet Explorer was almost just a 
a 32-bit version of Spyglass Mosaic. Importantly, the icon was not the now famous blue E yet. It was just a icon of the earth with a magnifying glass on it. So we didn't have the, the blue E logo yet. I'm trying to recall if it was even animated. I want to say it was, but... I know it was eventually, but I don't know if it was from version one or not. So I've got a video for us to watch. Cody, are you excited? No more reading. You don't have to read this one. I like how you make it out as if I have trouble reading. <laughs> so we're going to watch a segment from the launch event for Windows 95. I've watched bits and pieces of this. They had Bill Gates and Jay Leno on stage for most of it. And like they it's it's really bad. Uh seeing as I hate Jay Leno, yeah, I can I can already picture this. Alright. Okay, I'll click play on three, two, one, go. Before you go, Bill, we've had some questions about the MSN icon on the desktop. Can you give us an update on the Microsoft network? Well, uh, we can do even better to that than that. Let's uh, see what's going on down in San Francisco. I think Bill Miller, our director of marketing for MSN, is down there. Uh, Bill, are you with us? Yeah, I am, Bill. You've got an enthusiastic group there. We do. Well, greetings from Paramount Street America down in Santa Clara. Um, some questions about the Microsoft Network icon. This is what you would click when you open up Windows 95 if you want to take advantage of our free trial offer on the Microsoft Network. Then once that you're signed up, you just double-click on this icon, take you into the front door for the Microsoft Network called MSN Central. From there, I can click on Categories and get a feeling for all the types of services and offerings that are available on the Microsoft Network. For example, in Sports and Recreation, I'd find ESPN Sports Zone. In the Education and Reference section, I would find things like Microsoft Encarta or Microsoft Bookshelf. Interest and Leisure, I'd see a lot of different services, including a service just announced today from United Airlines for the frequent flyers, ranging all the way to business and finance types of applications from companies like Charles Schwab and Fidelity Management, which just announced today, um, but also business information from companies like Dun & Bradstreet. In fact, when you take the over 140 different companies that are participating in building unique content on the Microsoft network and add that to the thousands of offerings that are available on the internet, it can get pretty confusing to find things that make sense or are valuable to you. So with the Microsoft network, we've created a new tool that we call um, uh, 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 guidebooks. And I've got one of those guidebooks here that I can open up. And we're creating these guidebooks for different types of users of the Microsoft network. There'll be one specially for kids. There'll be another guidebook that's for PC enthusiasts. There's a guidebook especially for people that run small businesses. This guidebook's called MSN Spectrum. It kind of covers everything else. And you can think of these guidebooks as a way just to find things that might be interesting that our producers and editors have gone out and found for you on the internet. Well, we've got a lot of different companies we're working with. Another company that just announced today is USA Today. And USA Today is going to create a new service on the Microsoft network that's based upon their national newspaper. So there'll be the different sections like you might expect in the newspaper. But USA Today already has a lot of content that's available to anyone out on the internet. And we've made it really easy for Microsoft network customers to get to that. So I can click on news, it launches me straight out to the internet, and I'm now at their homepage for the USA Today out on the internet. 
They've got lots of good stuff. Well, they got the scoop. Um, but they've also got sports scores, which is something I'd be interested in. Well, now I'm out on the internet, and I'd expect that to work the same way the Microsoft Network works. And in fact, it does. If I want to get back to these scores and see them all the time, I can just point here, click, drag, and drop latest sports scores right over here to my desktop. Now I've created a shortcut that'll take me back to that location on the internet straight from my Windows desktop. The thing that immediately jumps out at me is how much this looks like a typical Windows Explorer interface. Like, it, the, the MSN network, or Microsoft network, whatever it was called, like their whole thing is specifically, you interact with their categories and services like their folders and files, and at least until you get to a actual web page. Yeah. So like in, in this video, which is in the show notes, if anyone wants to watch it, the guy here is mostly focusing on the Microsoft network, which was Microsoft's like internet portal thing. And it was kind of the same thing that talked about with in the earlier articles where it's like this proprietary thing that has sort of its own interface. But at a certain point, when he opens a link in the USA Today area, it opens Internet Explorer in the like normal web browsing mode. And yeah, the, the pages in Microsoft's area do look like you're just browsing files, which is an interesting design, I guess. I can kind of see it because it's something everyone's already familiar with. So it sort of makes some sense, but it's also terrible. And once they get to the USA Today website, you can see what the normal look of Internet Explorer is. So like in this video they're showing, there's not even an address bar. There is an address bar when you open IE by itself, like when it's not coming from Microsoft's thing. And there's like back and forward buttons. There's buttons to change the font size, but it's very minimal. I also noticed, not that it's all that important, but they're using the Windows logo at the top right corner, which... uh. Anybody who remembers old web browsers, that's where they put the loading indicator. It would always be this animated thing. And typically it was the browser's logo with some neat animation. But this is obviously before they went that far. You can actually see it for a split second on when he's loading the USA Today page. It's, it's like the Windows 95 logo, but the blue sky in the background is moving around. Yeah, oh yeah. It is really fast, which proves, if anything, that they're actually not loading this from the real internet. This yeah, is, this isn't. This is definitely a staged demo. This is not dial-up speeds, I don't think. Because, uh, yeah, dial-up speeds at that time. There's an image of a batter. Like, there's no way that that was loaded quickly over dial-up. It was either saved in cache, or it was served locally. There's no other explanation. Yeah, like I think part of the reason early web browsers had that fun animation when loading was to give you something to look at while you're sitting there waiting for your page to load. Oh, 100%. And I I say this in all seriousness. It was like an exciting thing when they updated those because everyone's like, oh, cool, we have something new to stare at while we're <laughs> waiting for a page to load. I'm not even kidding at how no, sad that I, is. I mean, I, I can understand that because... 
my version of this was changing the boot animations on Android phones. Oh, yeah. Like, I just keep rebooting my phone. Like, wow, that's a fun animation of the little Android dude doing a dance or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fun. So that was them showing off a lot of the integration with Microsoft Network. There's a bit later in this presentation where they show more of the page internet stuff instead of Microsoft's proprietary services. And this is also a bit where they have Jay Leno in here because Jay Leno was uh, on stage for the Windows 95 launch event. And uh, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it's really not good. Okay. Play on three, two, one. Go. Well, it also says here I can actually chat with Jay on MSN. So I showed you how easy it was to go from MSN to a site on the internet. Now I'm linking from the internet right back to MSN so I can do a live chat with Jay. And I hope Jay's been impressed with the great job our developers have done on this. And in fact, how about jumping to our network? We'll see what he thinks. Uh, Jay, there's a message for you here. Oh, is that from an annoying Bill Miller guy? Uh, how about jumping to our network? See, I don't know. You know I'm not a, I haven't even gotten used to the idea of Fox being a network. So, uh, no way? Uh, no, no, I put in no way. Okay. Yeah, I'm a guest. I'm on the uh, online pavilion with Susie Davis and Sarah. Remember the girls with me? Tragically, she was killed in a live action game of Doom. So, I, again, our condolences to the family there. But hey, it's business. What are you going to do? Uh, what's up here? What's happening, Susie? Well, right now we're in the online pavilion, Jay, and we're looking at the homepage for Windows okay. 95 on the, on the web. Mm -hmm. And Microsoft and the Windows team are very committed to making it easy for people to get up on the Internet, on the information highway, through great technology and great content. For example, I'm using the Internet Explorer right now right. to look at our homepage, and web surfers can get there via www.windows.microsoft.com. And... As far as content, we've actually put the event here, the launch event here, in the online area of the Windows 95 section. Let me click on here and show you how people can experience from the comfort of their own homes the launch event much like we have here live. Sure. So why would you want to go outside when you can sit at home? There you go. Or come to Redmond. There you go. So as we scroll down here, you can see we have everything in the live event that we have on the online event that we have in the live event. For instance, product pavilions, yeah. the launch site. You can check out the mystery game in the Midway Games area. Let me actually take you to the product pavilions. Now, you were walking around the live event, right? Yeah, I was very, uh, very impressed here at the pavilions. There is a guy there. He, with one potato, he can make hundreds of Julian fries, each one exactly like the other. Tomatoes, uh, onions, everything. Onions with no tears. Just an amazing... Amazing product, but uh, yeah, well, go, go ahead. Will you? Well, besides him and the Ginsu guy, was there anything else that sort of tickled your fancy there, Jay? Uh, that was that micrographic Ferris wheel thing. Oh, that was okay. That was Excellent. pretty good. Now, is that on there? That, this is there. As, along with micrographics, in our live and online events, we have over 120 vendors showing over 300 products. Let's go to the catalog page for micrographics so you can get a sense of the volume of support for Windows 95, as well as for the online event. Let me go to the micrographics page here. And you can see the commitment of our vendors as I scroll through yeah, here. This is the Evelyn Wood speed reading page, I believe, isn't it? It sure is. Let's go back to the launch site. And from the launch site, you can get back to the main tent with Bill. You can oh. tour Microsoft. You can even go to the live event. Everything is right there in our website. Well, you know, I, uh, I've got my own website too, Susie, if you ever check it out. Actually, Jay, I'm going to step ahead of you on that one. Really? 
not only do you have a website, but I thought it's so cool that using the Internet Explorer, I created a shortcut right on my start menu mm -hmm. so that I can go to your website and check out your guest list anytime I want. So if I scroll I down here, take a look at your guest yeah. list, some reruns this week, but right. uh, where's, where's Bill in all this? Uh, Bill? Oh, yeah, we're going to get Bill. I think we're going to do a special show with Bill Gates and Carrot Top. Kind of a special, special, just a two-person show. Kind of a theme show. All right, so we're going to get him on there, right? But anyway, Bill, listen, I'll have my people talk with your people. They can have lunch, so we won't have to meet directly. Yeah, so in between the not funny jokes in that video, we got a little bit more of a look at early Internet Explorer. The video, the demo here, I guess they did open it from outside MSN because you can see the address bar in this demo. So that's there. And they also show that you can add shortcuts to websites to the windows start menu which is kind of cool yeah at that time they were really hyping up how you could customize the start menu even though internet explorer was a separate product at this time microsoft will say it wasn't but in practical sense it was it was not included in the standard windows 95 package you can see they're starting to add some pretty low-level system integrations between Internet Explorer and Windows, which becomes part of the argument later when the United States government is like, hey, I don't think these should be packaged together. It seems kind of anti-competitive. And Microsoft can be like, well, no, no, no. Look, they're they're integrated. They're, this, they're one in the same thing. And that, that starts to happen later when IE is actually built into Windows, but you can see it starting to happen here. Yeah, if only they had been forward-thinking enough to make the argument that it's for security purposes, and they're keeping their users safer by having full control from end to end. <clears throat> Apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's early Internet Explorer, and in the next part, we're going to talk about the first few updates to Internet Explorer. We're going to talk about the start of some of the arguably anti-competitive things Microsoft did with Internet Explorer. It's going to be fun. And then later, we'll move on to the inarguably anti-competitive yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll move on to the things where I'm reading. I'm like, oh, no, this is horrible. <laughs> we'll move on to the stage where, as you read, it's basically just the testimony for the prosecution. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I hope everyone sticks around. Cody, do you have anything you want to plug? Perhaps. Uh, my charging cables. I pulled too many of them out. Right. Uh, but aside from that. Uh, follow me on Twitter. You can find me at Cody underscore Tombs. The last name is spelled T-O-O-M-B-S. Also follow me on anything else where you can find my real account. You can also follow TechTales on Twitter. We're at TechTales Show. And we're also on Mastodon at TechTales at M-A-S dot T-O. We've also got all the sources in the show notes, all of our social media things, uh, the video. Cody and I just watched a small part of is also in the show notes and we've got links if you want to support the show and that's pretty much it. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back in your podcast feed soon. Thank you, everyone, for coming by. But not Jay Leno. Jay Leno should not have come by. Oh, it's entirely too true.